It says this in chapter 21, Leviticus 21, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, also the virgin's sister who is near to him, who has had no husband. For her he may defile himself. Otherwise he may not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in the flesh, but shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman who is divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Therefore, you shall consecrate him For he offers bread to your God, he shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter or any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Which is a very effective way to burn. He was a high priest, now we move to the high priest, among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and he who is consecrated to wear the garments shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. Nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. He shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow, divorced woman, or defiled woman, or a harlot. These he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among the people, For I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame, who who has a marred face, or you might have flat nose, or any limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in the eye or eczema or a scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron, a priest who has a defect, shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. Oh, he may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries. For I, the Lord, sanctify him. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. And you're reading this and probably thinking, what the heck? Good. Now, if you're brand new to Scripture and this is the first time you've ever opened up the Bible, isn't the Bible fun? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, friends. And there's so many good things to dig into. Pray with me, would you please? O Lord, our Lord. What a miracle to be able to even say that. Not just Lord, but our Lord. Not just God, but our God. Not just some obsequient, distant, aloof mist for which we cannot know but a person with a personality that can be grieved and experience pleasure and pain. Pain and grief at our refusal of you, of our turning of you, and pleasure at our turning and surrendering to you. 
Teach us how to better experience your pleasure, to delight in your delight, as you teach us that you rejoice over us with singing. What an amazing God. And if we don't see you that way, make today the day where you reveal yourself for who you really are. And I pray, Lord, that your scripture would burst open and come alive for every one of us. Oh, God, we're desperate for you, like our very breath, like the next beat of our heart. God, please, may each of us in here, every one of us, encounter you at the cross today. And in encountering you, may we openly, with complete abandon, surrender appropriately to you. I pray, Lord, for whatever we came in here, whatever appetite, meet it today in the place where it is on your menu. For the lonely, show yourself the father to the fatherless, the friend that sticks closer than the brother, the groom. For the confused, show yourself as their peace. The way the truth, the life. For those coming in here, dragging them old, their old selves in here, afraid of letting go because they can't see beyond what would happen if they did, show yourself as the resurrection and the life. For those who come in hungry because they just have tried feasting from the world and they only find themselves hungrier and more desperate and more empty and more weak, show yourself as the bread of life. For those today who are spiritually blind, who cannot see beyond the moment, show yourself as the light of the world to them. For those, Lord, who feel fearful, afraid, confused, feeling abandoned and neglected, show yourself as the good shepherd and as the gate to the sheep. But Lord, may your word land upon each of us now, profoundly ministering to us, genuinely hitting us where we need to be reached. Through your word, jab us in our very soul and spirit. Heal what is broken and twisted and mangled within us. Reinvent us the way you desire. And for those who are complacent, jolt to action today. For those who are rebellious, put a fear in their heart that they would turn and embrace you. And if there be anyone who has yet to know you, let today be the day of their salvation. So Lord, we pray for every one of us. We just simply say, all right, Lord, here we are. We're a blob. We're a mess. We're the clay. We throw ourselves onto your table while we just want the pleasure of knowing your hands are upon us, knowing that whatever you make, you make, you do all things well. So here we are. Have your way, we pray. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak to every one of us today in our hearts and in our minds. Speak to our very spirit today, we pray.
May we have so much fun in your word as we receive your therapy now. And in doing so, Lord, be ever glorified, we pray. In Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Leviticus, now I want to remind you, Leviticus is a book over 3,000 years old. As a matter of fact, it's roughly 3,500 years old. A book that was written for a group of people that had been taken out of the land of Egypt. That's all they knew for 430 years. All they knew was Egypt. They had a system within Egypt. They saw how the priests function within Egypt. They watched the way that the society and the priorities and the standards or lack thereof of Egypt. And it's all you've known for over four centuries. Think about how much of what we do today could have been based all the way back 400 years ago. That's the days of Shakespeare. Think about how much has changed since then. And as God pulls the people out of the land of Egypt, he seeks to make them different. And we use the acronym HOLY for a reason. The idea is simple. God is going to lay out a bunch of commandments not to keep you right with God, first and foremost, but for your own sake, to get Egypt out of you, first of all, and then to prepare you for the land he's going to insert you into so you wouldn't become like them, but rather be a world changer. The acronym HOLY, H stood for your health. And there are several things God's going to say, do this or don't do this, and simply because it's healthy not to. God will say things like, even here he says, hey, if you touch a dead body, bathe. I know that sounds really strange for us. 400 years ago, that wasn't weird here. The bubonic plague was spread because we didn't bathe when we touched dead people. God does say commands, and we, we could say, why? And if God told us all of the reasons, our brains would explode. But if we trusted him, we'd know that we would find ourselves healthier. And that's one of the things is the H is for health. The O is for obedience. Sometimes the Lord is going to simply lay out something before you and tell you to do something. You may not get any clue for it, but you have the privilege of obeying God anyways to prove that you trust him beyond your own reason. Because we know the verse. Most of us do, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own what? See, now y'all know it. Well, problem is we know it. Leaning not upon our own understanding is a difficult thing, isn't it? Because when God says something, you're like, I can't do it because I don't understand. And you go, wait a minute, God says, you know the verse. You just quoted it in church. You quoted it in my house. Leaning upon your own understanding. And sometimes he'll just lay something out and say, look, I just want you to obey me. Trust me, there are purposes, even if I don't tell you. The H was for health, O was for obedience. L was so that you would leave your Egypt behind. Some of the commands that he gives, really, to be honest, is to get the old world that you came from out of you. Because there was so much permissible that God says is not good for you and it shouldn't be permissible here. And I want the old world out of you because I've got a whole new creation. And if you want to hold on to who you used to be, you'll never be the person I want to make you. 
And man, when God makes something, it's beautiful and magnificent and wonderful. Why would you want to say no to God's creation for what you made of yourself? The L is to leave Egypt. And the Y is to yearn for only him in the new world. Because the problem is, let's just put it this way. Three and a half years ago, our family moved to London. There's a whole new batch of temptations. Oh, they're old temptations. They're just marketed with more of a British flair, but they're still the old temptations. They just look different. And I could see God saying, before you even go there, I want to lay out some ground rules because I don't want you getting suckered into the things in England like you could have gotten suckered into the things in America. And there's a beauty behind that. And wherever he inserts you, that's the new job, that's the new class, that's the new neighborhood, that's the boss raised your, you know, you know, it's raised the, the price of everything and the next thing you know, you're out looking for a new job. Or the landlord raised his prices and now you're out looking for a new place and now you're going to be in a new place and God says, hey, before you even move in there, let me prepare you so you could be an agent of change in your new neighborhood, in your new job, in your new class. That's the idea here. God says, this is what I want for you. I have not recruited anyone simply to be a part of hanging in a museum. You are not to be still life. So here's the way that the book breaks down. The first seven chapters of Leviticus are the sacrifices, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin, and the trespass offerings. And in each of those, we get the idea of how I approach God. Chapters 8 through 10, he launches the official priesthood. Who approaches God? And by the way, we'll find that God has called us all to be priests. Peter makes that clear in his letters. Revelation makes that even more clear when it says that he's made us kings and priests. And from the moment we went from the sacrifices, where it was sort of the ground rules, to the priesthood in 8 through 10, at which point we got two boys, by the way, sons, we assume the two oldest sons of Aaron, who are, by the way, going to die because of their, their faulty way of doing things, because of their, really, to be honest, because of their irreverent attitude towards God. God starts moving us on to the next area. From 11 to 15, he approaches the area of cleanness and uncleanness. And he'll say, that's unclean, don't eat that. That's unclean, don't touch that. That's unclean, don't lick that. That's dirty, don't go near that. That's dirty, don't roll around in that. That's dirty, don't get naked near it. I mean, that kind of thing. And God's very simple and clear about it. As a matter of fact, the term clean and unclean will be used, I believe, 138 times in those five chapters. As a matter of fact, the word unclean will be used, I believe it's 56% of the times in the entire Bible are in those five chapters. That means more than half of the times you read the word unclean in all of Scripture are going to be in those five chapters. And by the way, when we, as we start reading through those chapters, 11 through 15, what we get is it starts to, just like good music, it grandizes, it gets more and more, and more and more concentrated and more and more intense. So it's like kind of unclean, and that's unclean, and that's unclean, and that's unclean, and that's unclean, and unclean, 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 unclean. And you get this point, it's like, wow, that's really unclean. And you get this craving to be clean, and God takes us to the beautiful apex in chapter 16 when he says, now let me atone. So you can get clean. So from 11 to 15, we see the need in that. And then in chapter 16, we see it resolved with God atoning through the blood. And that becomes the next beautiful crescendo in our sonata here. From there, then we move from 17 to 22. And that's the section we're in. We move towards the feast. Now that you've been blood bought. Now that you've been cleansed by the blood. It is time to start moving forward. And please hear me. 
How many of you in here, and this is one of the few times I'll actually just ask you to raise your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to take a picture and say, look at everyone getting saved. But how many of you here are confident that you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? You are blood-bought. You belong to Jesus Christ. Raise your hand and hold it high. Beep. I mean, come on, this is nothing to kind of like, eh, about, right? This is like to hoot and holler about. Yeah, so you can raise both. That's right. I'm doubly saved, man. I'll tell you what. Blood-bought and spirit-filled. Okay, thank you. Now listen. If you think that all God has for you is simply to save you, well, then why doesn't he just kill you? That was one of the questions I asked the pastor after I got saved. I'm like, why doesn't he kill us now? If this was, he died to send me to heaven, and now I'm going to heaven, why doesn't he just stop wasting time? Let's get there. Let's go. And I realize there's so much more to it. And understand 11 through, I'm sorry, 20, uh, 17 through 22, as we have here, is this road to rejoicing. By 23, we're going to be in the feasts. That's where we'll be, God willing, next week. And we'll see what God intended our life to be, a continual feast. Now, I'm not talking about every one of us looks at like Jabba the Hut because we eat so much, although some of us could be accused of that. But myself, by the way. But I'm saying that God, for instance, says he was of a cheerful countenance, is of a t- continual feast. And understand, here becomes the problem among those of us who have given our life to Christ, is that God has so much more for us than just simply to sort of sit saved, not grow, not change, and just be like, sitting here waiting for heaven. God's like, no, 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 no. I've got so much more for you. And so we started seeing what God looks like as he starts moving us. Now hear me. Those first two chapters, and we've gone through four of the six, were about applying the blood. Do you remember that? And how important it was to make sure that the blood was the center of this. The blood is where we... And can I just say it this way? Because now that we're, we've given our life to Christ or accepted the gift, and if you haven't, I'm going to give you that choice so that next week, if I were to ask you, you could say, confidently, I've accepted the gift of Jesus. It's, that's not a very difficult thing to know. Now he says, now you're holy. And holy simply means set apart, weird, in the very best of ways. And can I just say, what we need to do from the moment we've said yes to Jesus is to start taking our holiness seriously. I think one of the reasons the world doesn't, isn't as interested in what we have to offer is because they really don't know who we have to offer. All they think is what we have to offer. And they look and they want to see, and we don't even take who we are seriously. I'm not talking about taking yourself seriously. I'm talking about, listen, those first two chapters, taking that 17 and 18, taking your cleansing, taking the holiness of your cleansing seriously. That's the whole idea of being blood-bought and being pure. That's the chapter after. Now, I know what it's like. I grew up playing American football. And I was a wide receiver. I was the guy who ran and caught the ball. So people would throw me into various things to try to keep me from catching a ball, including often pine trees. Where we were, there were several of them. By the way, it backfires because when you come off out of a pine tree, you're covered in sap. It's easier to catch the ball. You could stick up your hand and it just sticks. You know, it's kind of nice. But man, you're like, you're playing football half the day. And then you go in and you eat something, you'll go right back out because you already look like the abominable snowman or like Bigfoot because you're covered in all kinds of muck. But if you really clean yourself off, you may not want to go back out there into the, into the dirt because now you're clean. Does that make sense? And I feel like so many of us, it's like we've given our life to Christ and it's like God did a kind of a quick hose off, but then we don't feel totally clean, so we're quick to run back into our filth. We really need to take the holiness of our cleansing seriously. And that's those first two chapters. Remember, this is the road to rejoicing. This is, in essence, the journey to the feasts. And it really starts with that. Are we really going to take our cleansing seriously? Or we think that Jesus sort of saved us. Does God ever sort of do anything in Scripture? 
you ever see a guy who's like, well, I, I was almost healed. I was sort of healed by Jesus. I mean, I, I was missing three fingers and now I have one extra. You know, I mean, God just doesn't do that. But we treat people, let's face it, we treat the rest of the world. That's our, that's our message often because we could say, well, I'm, I don't know, God, he's, just, he's, just, he's, he's all that we need. But boy, I'm, I'm just still hungry for this and I'm still hungry for that. And, oh, God will give us all this peace, but I'm not living any kind of peaceful life right now. I'm like, God gave me a little bit of peace and it was just enough so I didn't go jump off the cliff, but I'm still mental. And it's like, God's like not into doling off crumbs from the table. We really need to take our seri- our, the holiness of our cleansing seriously. Does that make sense? And then we got to the next two chapters. And the next two chapters, it is where Jesus will quote from when he says, and the second greatest law is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. In the second two chapters, can I just say, is we need to take the holiness of our caring seriously. We need to really genuinely realize how important it is, how valuable it is to care for each other. And I'm not just talking about, and look, I'm not saying don't care for the lost, but understand the world is looking how we treat each other first. You're aware of that, right? And what's amazing is we could actually set up camps to hate each other, to be nice to people out there. And the world isn't that interested in that. Who wants to join that family? It's like, hey, we're having a family reunion. You're like, I don't want to go. I've seen parts of your family and I see what happens when you get together. You yell over things that don't even make sense to me. We want to talk about, you know, it's like, meanwhile, if we really, if, if we became more like Jesus, what I've learned is we would start loving each other more and we'd actually become more like a shepherd. We'd start caring about the destiny of people a little bit more and a little bit less about our stuff. You remember, you, you ever see Jesus going, Peter, you broke that, replace it. Can you imagine? Do you ever see anywhere Jesus dissing anyone for any of his stuff? What stuff did he have? He even let Judas Iscariot hold his money bag. That tells you something. And then we get to these two chapters, right before pulling into the pavement of rejoicing into the feasts. We need to take the holiness of our calling seriously. But don't miss this. As we dive in, because it'll actually make sense, as we, and we'll see, this breaks up into three easy parts in these two chapters. Please, please hear me. God made it this order for a reason. That's just like God, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. It starts with getting cleansed because you're not going to be able to care for anyone if you're still filthy. You'll care for yourself. But a filthy mind cares about other people to benefit their filthy mind. That's just bottom line. But it starts with getting cleansed. And look at Jesus isn't just into kind of redecorating your life. He's not into just kind of dolling you up a little bit, making you a little bit of a nicer person. You're a teardown and that's okay with me. I mean, some of us, we're okay with that. We came to the Lord and we're like, you know what? I'm a total. You know, when they go to the insurance and they're like, what do you have to do? Nope, you're just going to have to get rid of this and start over. And I was good with that. Now, some of you, maybe you're not. Maybe you were like, you know, I was almost there. Well, may God be kind enough to show you a mirror one more time of who you really are inside of him. But let me just say, a healthy view is that you are loved even in all of that. And God's like, look it, I'm not here to kind of give you that extra 5% to get you into heaven. I'm the 100%, God says. Not the 1% or the 99, the 100%. I'm the one who saves you. All I'm asking is your permission. And don't hurt your shoulder patting yourself on the back for saying yes to my offer. It's, it should be the easiest thing. You ever talk to someone that's like, how could a loving God make hell? I say, to make your choice easy. How could a reasonable person choose it? 
You know, hey kids, we're going to go to Disneyland or like Spanking Land. Which one do you want to choose? Hello? Please hear me, please hear me. But it starts with this. Okay, look at if I realized that that there's nothing I can do to earn God's love because he loves me anyways. He loved me when I was filthy, rotten, nasty, dead in my trespasses and and his enemy, and he loved me anyways, then there's nothing I'm going to ever do to make him not love me. Because I can't get any worse than I was. Even if my behavior were more extreme, I was still every, every bit of that. And when he saved me, he cleansed me and continues to, praise God for that, but then he's like, now look at I want to start changing you. What I want to start doing is turning you into people who care about other people, each other. You're this, well, by the way, welcome to the family. You know what we all are? We are the adoption society. And we're the best adoption society because we've all been adopted. So we know how good it is. The problem is if you're an ambassador for the adoption of the king of kings, that's who the dad is who's adopting here, right? People are going to look and go, well, let's see what that household looks like. Well, then we should represent. Where I came from, we used to have an expression, if you ain't representing, you perpetrating. In other words, either you're standing up and representing it well, or you're standing against it. Please hear me. God wants to turn you into caring. And then, and then, as he develops this love for each other, then he starts showing you your calling. Isn't that kind of, because listen, God does not want people to try to be spiritual superstars who don't care about anyone but themselves. And you know what? If there is such a guy, he'll make it onto TV. Have you learned that? They'll even do a whole show about him. It's like, meanwhile, it's like, you know why? The real guy that actually really just loves God and loves his family and loves people, he's going to bore everyone else. But let's be honest, he's like the freakiest, bizarre thing that anyone's ever seen because nobody can relate to him. Unless you, because you should be like that too. So please hear me. God didn't just save you so you could just go to heaven. God saved you and he wants to turn you into someone who looks like him, which means you love each other. And then as you love each other, he starts showing you your calling. Now, all your calling is, is the recipe of the person he's making you, plus the spiritual gifts he's given you to use, and how he wants to see that lived out in your life. I've learned your calling is not your job. Your calling is, I mean, like, it's like being a boy. I'm a boy, whether I'm on the site or off the site. I wake up, I'm a boy. The way that I eat, I'm a boy. I burp, I'm a boy. I'm not trying to, you know, pray for my wife. I go to sleep a boy, and I'm a pastor. He's given me a heart of a pastor. God willing, you can say he's given me the gifts of a pastor, but I'll say this. You're in my bosom, like it or not. I go to sleep praying for you guys. I wake up in the middle of the night praying for you. That's just who I am. I'm not not a pastor at any given point. As weird as it is, I'm a pastor at the dinner table. I'm a pastor at the toilet. I'm a pastor when I'm playing a sport. I'm a pastor when I'm sitting down somewhere. I'm in, you know, and if someone's like, I'm sitting down on a train and some guy's talking wonky doctrine and I'm hearing somebody and I'm watching someone listen to him, I can't help but jump in and they're like, who do you think you are? I'm a pastor. You're not my pastor. I didn't say I was your pastor, but I'm a pastor and I'm, and I'm going to pastor this situation until you get off the train. Don't listen to him. Here's a Bible. Read it. Let me show you. Here, actually, here's the verses that are against what he just said. I mean, you know, you get the idea. But not everybody, look at, whether you know it or not, all a pastor does is a shepherd, and God's going to call every one of you to be to whatever degree. Now, I'm not telling you everyone gets a pulpit like this or whatever, um, but I am saying this. When you love people, you want to see them blessed, and that's just the cool part about it. 
But here's the scary thing. Could you imagine what would happen if every person that wore a collar or a robe or a whatever or a lame suit or whatever it was actually took their calling seriously? What that would look like? And let's face it, Christians could be just as stupid. I'm going to be honest. And we can kick the weak like the rest. We can actually make fun of the same people the world does, even if they are a family. Hey, can someone be a stupid jerk and still be saved? You better say yes, just for your own sake. (laughs) Please hear me. We have a guy like Saul in Scripture right before David. He had an amazing calling, but he had no consecration in his heart. Then we had a guy like David who was full of all kinds of passionate extremes, but man, he sure wanted God. Please hear me. God has a calling on every one of your lives. If you've said yes to Jesus, God has a calling on your life. He's waiting for you to pick up the phone. If you've not said yes to Jesus, that's the first call. Go through these chapters with me, would you please? And let's take a look at it. It's going to break down into three specific areas. It's going to break down into personal holiness. Second is positional holiness. And third is practical holiness. In the first section, this area here, and by the way, this will be from verses 1 to 15, and then actually from 10 to 15 will be the high priest, 1 to 10, and 1 to 9 will be the, 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 every other priest. And we'll see that God ups the ante for the high priest. In this, we're going to see two words really stand out. We're going to see the words defile and profane. We're going to see in verse 1, in verse 2, or verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, verse 4 again, verse 6, verse 7, uh, verse 9, Profane and profanes, profanes, profanes. We're going to see God takes that very seriously. The words for what it's worth, let me sort of lay this out first. The word defile is the word tame. Could you say tame? Now, if you have a name anywhere close to that, I'm sure this isn't what it is. Tame means to be foul, or literally it means to be contaminated, to be polluted. To be defiled literally means to be polluted. Something that was supposed to be pure, but it ain't pure. You ever go someplace and they're like, no, no, we filter our water and then you actually t- tasted it and you're like, you filtered it with your sock, you know? You can tell, man, that, this is not pure water, that's for sure. Pure water does not have this taste. Did you gargle with it? That's defiled, tame. The second word is the word profane. And interestingly enough, you may actually remember this, or you'll probably remember when I say it. Ironically, the word is halal. Not halal, but halal, for what it's worth. We just went by a place and it said American fried chicken, halal. And I thought that was ironic, but that was another story. Halal, by the way, means to wound, to dissolve, or to bore. Like bore a hole in literally is the base term for it. And the idea of something profane, to be honest, is something that now has been broken. It's like you go into, you ever do this? You go into the store, you're going to go buy something. And you maybe like you're going to go buy a carton of milk or something like that. And you look and you pull one out, but it looks like there's a little bit of milk missing. And then you realize the cap actually has that, the seal broken on it. And what do you do? You're a good Christian. You push it aside and you grab the next one, right? And I'm not going to take that. God needs me on this earth right now. I'm not going to, you know, you know. Now, if you actually, can I suggest, go tell someone, right? But the idea of it, the seal is broken, something it's been tampered with. You get the idea? And because of that, what happens is it's not the same as it was before. To be honest, the word profane as we know it, to be honest, simply means to be common, which I think is interesting when I think of words like profanity, because where we live, profanity is common. Let's be honest. 
There are some people, it's like the F word is one of the four words in their vocabulary and clearly their favorite. They, 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 at least they ride public transportation with me. Anyways, so follow me on this. The first area in regards to personally. If we're going to take our calling seriously, wouldn't it be great to do this before you even knew what God had for you? To, God, to resolve this? Verses one, through, verses 1 through 9, by the way, notice. Speak to the priests. And by the way, well, notice, by the way, God will say five different times, and the Lord said to Moses, 21, 8, sorry, 21, 1, 21, 16, 22, 1, 17, and 26, we'll read, and God said to Moses. So this is five conversations in these two chapters God has. So the Lord speaks and he says this. If somebody dies and you're a priest, I want you to handle death differently than the rest of the world. It's that simple. Now, in regards to the other people, you have a certain amount of people you're able to, and the word he uses then is the word defile. And I want to remind you, the idea of defile means to be contaminated. He goes, but listen, a wife, your children, mom and dad, immediate family, that's one thing. I don't want you running around. to understand, we had come out of Egypt, and in Egypt, there was a whole process of things that people did to someone that was dead in honor of anyone that was dead. It could be someone on TV, someone you've never met. Let's face it, right now, if a plane crashed with five British boys on it, I won't say who, because that would be insane, but some of you are getting it now. There'd be some girls jumping out of windows that have never met them. Which, by the way, are you probably aware of the fact that they wouldn't notice anyways. They're dead. With all due respect. And God says, look it. If you're going to take your calling seriously, you need to take death seriously. But you need to take death seriously for what it does and doesn't do. See, the moment we gave our life to Christ, he started showing us eternity. And when he showed us eternity, death looks very different there. Because all of a sudden, the Rambo films don't look so cool. Where some guy walks in with an automatic weapon and thinks he is an automatic weapon and kills everybody in the compound to release the one person that was held captive. But as a Christian, we look and we think, that's 35 people going to hell right there. We see that very differently. We don't think, yay, the, the British tourist has been released. I mean, we'd be happy he was released, but we wouldn't be happy about the people who died. This is why we don't want anybody dead who doesn't know Jesus. We shouldn't want anyone dead who knows Christ either. But you get the idea here. Why would we want somebody to go to hell? We shouldn't want anyone to go to hell. We look at death very differently. Does that make sense? And can I just say, please pardon me, I don't, I don't want to be irreverent. I want to be sincere as your pastor. We get all kinds of funky, bizarre, little hallmark kind of ideas. I just know little Jimmy's looking down upon us right now. Can I just say something? As your pastor, I pray that I would never get in the way of your eyes being fixed on Christ. If your eyes are fixed on Christ, I don't want to jump in the middle of that. You don't need to be looking at me anymore. Look at him. Does that make sense? Let's just say at this moment, and I'm not, this is no prophecy. Let's say at this moment, Marcia passes away. Who is she standing before right now? She's standing before Jesus. Do you really think the one thing I want at that moment is her to take her eyes off of Jesus there and look at me? I just think Marcy is looking down on me right now. Why would I want that? Marcy's in the presence of Jesus. She's happy. 
I'm like, Marcy, excuse me, but I know you're like on your face before God and the Holy of Holies. Just thank you, Lord. But could you look down for a second and smile? Or even weirder yet, put in a good word for me. Okay, scripture says that Jesus intercedes for me, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for me. Does Jesus not do a good enough job that Marcy is going to be able to drop her shoulder and get a little farther with the Father? Now, we know Marcy has a persuasive way about her, but, but Jesus is the Son who died for me. I just know my little cat Fluffy right now was in cat heaven, purring to Jesus just for me. Hey, look, I don't want to get, you know, I'm not trying to be irreverent. The whole point is we have to look at death differently. And then he says, hey, look, you can't just marry anyone. I know this sounds really weird. Do you think it's weird in scripture that God is to say, hey, you're a priest. You can't go out and marry a whore. But you know what? That was common. Remember, the priests in Egypt worked with temple prostitutes. It was really rather convenient to have a handful of them on staff in your house. And understand, here's the idea. God says, I want you to take your family seriously. Could you imagine what would happen if we actually just did that much? I mean, if we were to say, if I'm going to take my calling seriously, first of all, I'm going to take death seriously. I mean, death, spiritual death, universal, transcending, eternal death. I'm going to take that seriously. And I don't want to look at a person out there who's going to, they made my life a little rough for a moment when I stepped out or whatever. And you know, nah, 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 nah. and I'm like, oh, well, I just can't wait for, you know, may, may I never see them again. What if God's like, what if I wanted you to share the Lord, share me with them? And you're like, I don't care. God says, you should care. It's amazing what could ruin our day. And we know it, right? It's like, you know, people say these things and it's like Christian pepper spray. Who was Cain's wife? You know, like, oh, I don't go near you. And we, you know, we don't realize we could do the same thing by just saying, hey, can I pray for you? Quick, quick little story. I'm on a bus, the 384, on my way up to, to, to um, through to, to uh, High Barnet. And there's like three of us, uh, four originally, and I think everyone else on the bus has met Noah. I mean, they are, they're, they're relatively older people. And then there's me, I'm the, which is cool because I'm the young guy on the bus. I'm, I'm good with that. And so the idea of that is it's real quiet. The bus is very, very quiet. Everyone's sitting very, very proper and so forth. You know, we get to one stop, a couple of people get off, and then we're pulling up. And I can hear this this young lady, I'm being very kind, um, as we pull up. And can hear this. <coughs> Sorry. And we're pulling up, and there is this girl. She's about four. And she's clearly not happy with her mother. And you hear her like, the moment, the moment the doors open, she is going for it. Flat, cold blast. Now, understand, I'm kind of a big guy. I know that doesn't surprise you. So I kind of look for those emergency exit seats. In this case, it was the farthest. It was all the way back at the bus. So literally, I am in the farthest seats from the front as I can be. I am, I'm, I'm in the corner. I'm literally in the corner sitting there because I'm kind of chilling. Everything's cool. And she comes in. And I mean, my ears are hurting from the moment that those doors open up, right? And here's the funniest part. There's only like two of us on the bus at this point besides myself. And she comes over and she just really... And I'm going, no, 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 please, 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 Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. And she's like... And she's sitting next to me. Four-year-old girl sitting next to me. Looks like my daughter at four. Praise God. Didn't act like my daughter. Pigtails, blonde hair, fair skin. And she's sitting there. And of course, I'm looking at her mother. 
get this child, what are you doing? This is like child abuse in a whole new way. The child is abusing me. I'm trying to look creepy. Just to show you how I am in the flesh. Figuring mom will take the child away. I'm not even sure like, nothing. So finally I'm like, all right, Lord, I know this is ordained. Yeah, it's ordained. Why are you crying? Listen, Mr. Compassion, I'm like, Jonah, why are you crying? Thought that might do it. Oh, no. My mom is so mean. Why? Oh, let me have the chupa choop. This whole thing was over a lolly. whole thing was over a lolly, right? And I look and I say, well, I'm going to pray for you. And that was the moment the mother got up and grabbed her child. <laughs> I kid you not. And I went, wow, really? That was it. That was, that was the moment. I figured win-win. And the Lord's like, I answered your prayer before you prayed it. And that was when the Lord reminded me that I would be sitting here with you today. Is that the biggest issue? And I'm thinking, if this child's like this for the moment on my bus... It wasn't even my bus, but as far as I was concerned, it was my bus. Could you imagine this poor woman? This is this is life for her. And I'm like, all right, Lord, you're right. I guess I failed that test. Can I pass this test without having this be repeated, please? We really do need to take death seriously, and we need to take family seriously. Can I, uh, we said it last week, and can I say, look, I'm not here to diss your past. I'm here to challenge your present. Wherever you are today, never, never, never expect for me to endorse divorce. Don't, don't, don't expect it. If you're in trouble, come. Let's talk. If you're in danger, let's get you safe. But my heart will always be to see proper restoration. Proper restoration isn't putting two maniacs back together. Proper restoration is watching God transform two people and making them what they should be. And that's the way God intended it. And if the church can't take that stand, but then we want to tell people what a family should be, but we can't stand on all of Scripture and what a family is supposed to be, how in the world can the world actually stand up and applaud us when we're picking and choosing what we think is convenient? Take your calling seriously. Look at I'm going to stand before God someday And all of your faces are going to be on my docket. Do you realize that? And can I just say, in love, I'd rather offend you with the truth than massage you into hell any day. And that doesn't mean check me out, I'm awesome. All that means is I just, I like me too much to be in trouble. (laughs) You know, I want to be honest. Beloved, that's you too though. If you are single, do not diss being single because people say, how do, I know if I, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Are you single? Well, you have it right now, don't you? <laughs> Let's just be honest. And they're like, no, 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 don't feel like a gift. You know what happens? Once you get married, you will never be single again, more than likely, so enjoy it while you got it. You know? It's like, why do kids want to be adults and adults want to be kids, right? You finally get to be an adult and you're like, man, I was too busy trying to be this then. I should have enjoyed being a kid when I was one. It's like single people, I just can't wait to be married. And then you talk to married people, I just wish I was single. It's like, oh my goodness, really? Can I just say, look at wherever you at, be, let God do what he wants to do so that when he moves, if he chooses to move to anything beyond where you're at at the moment, that you'll celebrate that too. Hey man, I, can I just say, I'm about celebrating marriage. 
I'm about celebrating it. Next year, I'll be celebrating 25 years of being married. And I can tell you, it just gets better. Because on the inside, that's why when they gave me, they took an x-ray this week. And I said, I just want you to know you're taking a picture of my good side. That's the inside because the outside ain't doing so good. But the inside's doing well. And it's like, look at, I, get, I just want you to know I get more handsome every day inside because that's what God's doing. I tell my wife, hey, just want you to know I'm going to be better next week. She's like, I can't wait for next week. You know, that kind of thing. It's 25 years, man. I've heard a pastor say, you know, it says love suffers long and I've suffered long. No, you know what? <laughs> Sit down <laughs> and start celebrating. And God says, let's start taking our family seriously. But by the way, if you're, still, if you're single and you feel like you aren't part of a family and you belong to this, you are part of a family and take it seriously. And if you so you know, we take in strays all the time. We're way into adopting. If you hang around with us long enough, you'll probably become one of our children in our eyes. We kind of get that. And not like we're going to mother you. The idea is we just, we just love people. We, just, we, want it, we take that seriously. When it moves to the high priest, it just goes up a level for what it's worth. And by the way, just so you know, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. I don't know if you've ever seen what a funeral looks like in New Orleans, but it's a parade. When somebody dies, people partay. Now, I'm not talking about you should go out and get, you know, wasted. But, you know, if, if, like, if, if I die and you're all still alive, throw a party. Okay, not the kind where anybody, no alcohol to be served. But I want there to be worship. I want there to be praise. And then cremate my body and flush it down the toilet. It's where it belongs. But celebrate the fact that, that hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just relocating. I'm already saved. And by the way, you'd find a lot of churches would be real healthy if we actually took a careful look at the families of the people. We've learned this early. Hey, if a man's family is, is not in order, he should not be responsible for the family of Christ here when he can't even do his own right. First Timothy, in front of what I say, and I've got to move on, but I really want to make this clear. In First Timothy 3, there are, for what it's worth, and please hear me, there are 29 requirements for a person in service. 29 requirements. Of those 29 requirements, do you know how many of those are performance-based? One. Able to teach. All of the rest are character. Could you imagine how that looks on a CV? You cannot. I don't know how you could do that. I don't know how you could hire from without. Like, you don't know the person, but it says, hey, look it, I've taught in 16 places. I'm like, why can't you sit still? That's my first thought. You know, I mean, I look at that and I think, but because you, you can't find a person's character on a CV. You've got to know them. But you know what that requires more? What that requires is the church to love the church the way it's supposed to. So we know each other. Do you remember, if those of you are familiar with the book of Acts, when the widows were not being attended to, the Grecian widows? And what happened is they, they called a meeting among the people and they said, who do you know? that is full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Who do you know among them? And the people are like, duh, Stephen. Everybody knows Stephen's your man. And I love the fact that when those people got pulled up, it was like everyone was like, of course these guys. You know what? That's what it should be like here, friends. Honestly, beloved, please hear me. When God pulls up other men to pastor and take the badge or whatever the case is, take the mantle, my prayer is that every one of us would go, duh, of course that guy, because you'd know them. Does that make sense? Every guy that we've ever had the privilege of ordaining, the, the congregation's always gone, of course. 
There's never been question. But you know why? Because those 28 other things were clear. And God is calling you. What's interesting is you could build a whole seminary on that one. Let's be honest. On able to teach. We're going to make you a teacher. But no one invests on the other 28. You've robbed yourself of 97% of the qualifications. Think that through. I'd rather have a guy that is, that is strong in character. That you could trust. That still, you know that doesn't seem like they that that isn't necessarily the most apt but is the most in character because let's face it we're going to learn a lot more from a person's life than we are from what he says up here with the high priest by the way he says one other thing and that is like you can't even hang out with any dead bodies you have to you have to be really careful what you're hanging out with because the high priest has to be perfect and by the way praise god that we have one high priest and that's jesus christ who is completely perfect we read he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. And the next verse says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Because he knows what it's like to be tempted, but he also knows what it's like to win. Then we get to these really fun verses, verse 16. Look at that with me, through 24. Remember, that's where it says, Now the word changes. Remember how the words were defiled and profane before this? Now the word is, def- is defect. And the word, for what it's worth, is the word ma'um or mu'um. Would you say ma'um? We'll try that again. Ma'um. And it literally means to be stained or blemished. Now understand, remember how God does things for health, for obedience, for to leave where we came from, and of course as well to yearn for only him in the new? I mean, some of this makes a lot of sense. You have a, you know, you have a four and a half foot high you know, uh, uh, altar. You really can't have anyone really, really short working there. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. But let's face it, the guy isn't going to be able to get the, the, the meat up on the top of that. You should not give a blind guy, with all due respect, a knife and tell him to go start slitting throats. This feels like a lamb. Let's see what happens. Uncle Shimei, Uncle Shimei, where are you? I mean, it's a concern. So there is a concern about that. But I started to look at this and I realized, look at positionally, take your position seriously. Not everybody gets this position. Hey, you know what? I know some guys who are so gifted at teaching, they think they're pastors. A teacher is not a pastor. This is the same way that a chef is not a dad because he cooks. Think that through. A shepherd's got to care for people. And I watch some people, and it's like they sit up, and it's like all they just want is people to listen to them. But the bottom line is when you get to that point, you stop being careful what you say, that's true because now you just want friends. You can watch it in youth ministry all the time. We like to sit with guys who want to be in youth ministry and ask, what were you like when you were in secondary school? I was never very popular. Hmm. And now you want to be, right? And I don't want to be mean, but you watch people that are like that. Every guy that I've known that's ever gotten himself into trouble, and praise God, we've never had that in our own fellowship, were guys that were never popular with the girls then, but now they could be. And you sit and you talk to them because we work with restoration, and I tell you, some of that stuff's funky. And listen, if we could put it down, this is what it looks like. Hear me out. Stain and spotted doesn't work in ministry. If I have a problem with my sight, the way that I see things, a problem with my walk, a problem with where I stand or how I stand, a problem with what I grasp, a problem with my flesh, 
or a problem with my dedication, I've got issues in my ministry. Does that make sense? And that's what you have here. It's like you watch somebody, but they can't see eternally. All they can see is the temporary moment. So you know what that means? Let's get a big church with lots of people. Then we'll be successful. That's not successful in the sight of God. Success is obedience, beloved. And listen, success is obedience whether you're here or there. Success is obedience anywhere. The results are his anyways. Remember that, please. All the results are his. All God's going to say is, I laid this before you. Did you say yes? He knows. He goes, hey, do you see right? If you're not looking right, man, you need to get that right before. Well, how about this? How about your walk? You watch somebody and they get into a ministry, but man, their walk is all kinds of wonky. God's like, you need to get that walk right first. No, he's not saying don't, don't, listen, listen, this is no excuse. And I've learned this here. We are not victims anymore. We are new creations. Are you aware of that? Do not play the victim card in whatever you do. Do not play the lame. Well, then I just won't get into ministry. Can I just say, get over it. Build your bridge, get over it, and learn. Instead of going, well, I kind of have a weird walk, so I'm not going to get into ministry. How about change your walk? <laughs> Imagine? It's like we're like the, you know, Dostoevsky's underground man. I'm not going to do anything because I won't do it well. God's like, congratulations, you do nothing fantastic. He said, wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather do it well? How's your walk? How about your stance? Are you standing in areas right now that you shouldn't be standing in? Are you willing to take a stand where you're supposed to? How about what you're holding on to? Are you holding on to something you shouldn't be holding on to right now? Well, how about your flesh? Is it ruling you? I mean, get the idea, an eczema scab. And I understand some of this stuff's just really contagious. God's like, I don't want you hanging out. The church should not be a place for you to catch a disease. How about that? But let's face it, there are some people, it's like, I went to church, and that's where I learned how to smoke pot. I know people that were like that. Praise God, it has nothing to do with our churches. But you know, get the idea. I went to church, and that's where I met him, and now, two children later, church is not supposed to be the place where you catch anything but a fire for Christ. This is the place of healing. Wouldn't this be, wouldn't it make sense? The enemy would love to bring in something to make you sick in a place where God brings healing. We want to take that seriously, don't we? But listen, you'd say, yes, I should pray for my pastor. He should take his calling seriously. And I can say, get off your seat and take your own calling seriously. The reason like, it is like most of the people don't get Melissa by their pastor. The reason I say that is the church needs to take their calling seriously. We all do. I'm, I'm seeking it. And I want to demonstrate that. But can I demonstrate that so you don't just go, it's my pastor. He takes his calling seriously. No, take yours too. I want us all to take it seriously. Look at I'm not, I don't want to be like the one thin guy in the weight loss camp. <laughs> y'all, y'all go out and get some, you know, get some, you know, Susie cakes, some Jaffa cakes, and I'm going to go and do another lap. Look at I want us all into it. I want us all in serious training because the world out there desperately needs more than me. The world needs Jesus, and God wants more things in His pocket to be able to pull out and use. That includes you. As well as me. And then the last of those, by the way, was a eunuch. And a eunuch, by the way, was dedicated to someone else. He was castrated to serve a king. It's like, where are you committed, man? Are you dedicated to something you shouldn't be? You know, let's be honest. I bet if it isn't you, you know someone. 
That's how rampant this is, how epidemic this is, that would do their calling, except this. Except I've got this girlfriend, I've got this boyfriend, I've got this thing, I've got this dream, I've got this whatever. But I know God's got a bigger call in my life. Ah, maybe someday, but right now, no, because of this thing I'm dedicated to. Can you see God? You're going to stand before God one day. And I try to think, what would happen if I stood before God right now? Do I ever want to say, man, I wish I had played more Xbox. Man, I wish I'd gotten one more flannel shirt. You know? Man, I just really wish, you know... You talk to somebody who's lost a child. They'd give every organ they had just to spend two more minutes with their child. And say, you know, I said I would do that report with them. I never got to. And you know what? Most of those people will die with it. If you just had that one more moment again, just that one more moment, you can't. But we're all going to stand before eternity. And it all starts, by the way, with our sight. If we can't see what happens when we stand before God, our decisions will be made on terrible, terrible ways. Does that make sense, friends? So look at, from personally, personally, I want my view of death and my family to be right. Positionally, I want to I have an unspotted ministry. Does that make sense? And that moves us to our last area, and that's practically. And this will go quick. And I'm going to read it quick because some of it's pretty awkward. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, chapter 22, verse 1, Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they do not profane my holy name, but what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. Now notice we went, by the way, from profane and defiled to defect, and now the word's going to be unclean again. Verse 3. Whoever your descendants of your generations who goes near the holy things of the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has uncleanness on him, that person will be cut off from my presence. You know why? Because I'm the Lord. That's why. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings and, until he's clean. By the way, did you notice that uncleanness was temporary? Whoever touches anything unclean made by a corpse or a man of an admission of semen or someone who touches a creeping thing, yes, it's in Scripture, it's right there. God has to say it. By which he would be made unclean or a person by which he would become unclean. Whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening. He shall not eat that holy offerings until he washes his body with water. Notice God says, go take a bath. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean. Afterwards, he may eat the holy offerings because it's his food. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, don't eat it, okay? You defy yourself that way. God says, I'm the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinances lest they bear the sin and die thereby. If they profane it, because I, the, I, the Lord, sanctify them. Okay, we're really getting close to the end, so please be patient with me here. God's like, look, you need to be careful. If I'm going to take this practically, and I know in my ministry I have to be careful what I touch. Does that make sense? And by the way, God makes it clear here. It'll be, you know, it's like, look, be careful when it regards to the areas of sex. Be careful in the areas of greed. Be careful in the areas of things that are clearly diseased. And God says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to bathe before you're actually going to be with a lot of other people. And then give it some time. He doesn't just say bathe and run out. He says bathe, give it some time until sundown, and then go and you can be together. Listen, maybe you're not in those situations. Can I just ask, what about what touches your ears? What about what touches your eyes? Can you imagine you sat and listened to let's get wet and squidgy with each other all the way into church. And then you wondered why it was really hard to get and jump into the first praise song. 
God's really serious about this because please understand, we bring our contagions with us when we step in here. And if you take your calling seriously, if we, you understand, I'm all part of this too. If we all take our calling seriously, we're going to take seriously what we're going to, what residue we bring in here. And God says, if that's where, hey, look, maybe like I work in that environment or whatever. You know what? When you're done, then take a bath, get into the word and let God cleanse your heart and mind again. And then give it some time and then come and watch what happens. What if we did that next week? Could you imagine how we would jump into praise right from the get go? Now, what about an outsider? He says then, verse 17, whatever man of the house of, of Israel or the strangers of Israel who offers a sacrifice for any of the vows or for any of the free will offerings in which they offer as a burnt offering, offer it of your own free will. That's what he tells us. I mean, I'm sorry, I missed 10 to 16. See, look what happened. Ten, so I'm getting there quicker than I should. Look at Whatever outsider who eats the holy things who dwells with the priest or a hired servant, he can't eat the holy things. But if the priest buys the person with money, he may eat it. Or was born in this house, he may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she can't eat the holy things. But if the priest's daughter is widowed, divorced, has no child, returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food. But no outsider shall eat it. If a man eats the holy offerings unintentionally, he shall restore the holy offering to the priest and add 20%, one-fifth. He shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel in which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of their trespasses, when they eat their holy offerings, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. Here, it's the simplest part. Listen to this. It says, well, that sounds kind of dis... It actually doesn't. If you have an outsider, make them family. That's all it is. Don't keep them an outsider. When someone buys them, by the way, that sounds like, wow, you own them? You know what? We paid lots of money for one of our family members. Well, we still pay lots of member money for all of our family members, but that's another story. We didn't buy her, but it costs lots of money. Can I just say this? In the same way... You can have someone that just sort of is sort of there but really isn't part of the family. You know what that's like. Because that person really can't partake. Listen, if you're not going to be part of the family, you can't partake in the good things of God. But if you become part of the family, you can. Isn't that beautiful how that works? Listen, in the church, there are no outsiders who have accepted Christ. Does that make sense? There are no outsiders. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, welcome to the family, beloved. And we are a diverse family who have the same blood. Outsides look very different, but we've been all been washed by the same blood. So the last thing, and I'll sum it up here, but read it to check on me. Don't just believe me. As God says, when you're going to offer an offering, don't give me your skanky stuff. He goes, look it. Don't give me like the, the, the animal that's like, oh, look it. Uncle Zeke just ran over the thing with the tractor. Let's just send out. Oh, the head looks okay or whatever. Let's go and burn that anyways. God's like, I don't want the stuff that like costs you nothing. As a matter of fact, that's what David says. When David was offered the threshing floor where he would actually have his son build the temple in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, one of my favorite verses, he says, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Listen, listen, please hear me because we're now wrapping this up to pray. What about time? Do I give God my leftovers? What about my heart? Do I give God my leftovers? You know, it's like, God, I would love you, but I love too many other things right now. My dog, this cheesecake, my wife, this TV show. I'll give you what I have left over. God says, wow, I get like, I'm behind friends? That's in syndication. That's not even new anymore. Do I really do that with God? If I take my calling seriously, how can I give God my skanky? How does that work? 
And I'll be honest. There are times where that's what God gets, and I am not proud of that. But I'm just being honest. There are times where, you know, I've got, okay, I've got a couple minutes before I fall asleep, and maybe I can start trying to, you know, I'm going to read because I'm going to read. That's what I do. But I'm not even trying to stay awake while I'm reading it. I'm doing it to tick a box. Could you imagine? My wife's got a little checklist beside the bed. Good night, honey. Gives me a kiss. Rolls over. Okay. Finish that. Wouldn't that stink? Practically. Practically, it's just three things. What am I touching? Am I making family? Then what am I offering? Am I really offering my heart? Am I really offering my best? What if I did? What if people saw that? What if people didn't see it? Would I still do it? Because what we saw in our Egypt was all vain glory. Let's be honest. It was all about making ourselves look good. It wasn't for real. We saw the lame shows and we see it now marketed as Christianity and we don't like it either. But if we're not going to listen, do you really respect anybody who complains but doesn't make a change? says, I'm so tired of the house being on fire. And I'd just look and say, grab a bucket, fool. But we do that all the time. I'm so tired of Christianity being blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, then make a change. Here's the good news. We can be the change. How about that? And it isn't American Christianity or British Christianity. It's Jesus Christianity. It's what the Bible says. Where it just stops being about us. And we give everything. Out of our, not of our abundance. We give to the Lord because he deserves it. Hey, look at it. As we go to prayer, let's start with this. Remember how we talked about it started with our cleansing and then our caring and then our calling? If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that chance right now. And you can today accept the gift of Jesus and you can walk out of here absolutely confident you're saved. Listen, I didn't make this up. It says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not might, could be, God will take a vote later. You will be. Are you willing to confess Jesus as Lord today? Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Are you willing to do that? If you are, God will save you. Boom, it's a done deal. Guess what? You've been cleansed. And then we take it seriously. If you have accepted the gift of Jesus, can I pray this with you? That, will God, please give me a genuine care for my family. Here. My family maternal, my family spiritual. Because nobody should serve outside of love. But can I say, everyone should serve. So put that together. And then finally, if you're at that place and you just love as God is overflowing through you, then the Lord developed my calling. Does that make sense? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful, beautiful text. Lord, and it's just so fun, and it can be so awkward, and yet it's so serious. Here we are, Lord, next week getting to jump into the feast. How beautiful is that? And yet, Lord, in all of that, if we really want to live that kind of life, Lord, we really need to take our calling seriously. But Lord, it goes all the way back first to our cleansing. And I pray right now if there be, and I know there were some people in here, they did not raise their hands. 
And it wasn't like I was trying to mental note. I was just, I just know that there were less hands than people. And so, Lord, I pray right now for every person in here who hasn't, that you would show them that you are in the business of saving right now and that there would be no person, no person who would walk out of here even questioning whether they're yours. As the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart right now, beloved, if you'd like to accept the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you agree at the end, I simply ask for you to say amen. And what you are saying is, I agree. Let these words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer, so be it in my life. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I confess to you I'm not perfect. That's why I need to be saved. But because you so loved me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. So that if I would accept your gift... I could be cleansed right now and made new. So I do believe Jesus died for me on the cross, just like you said, for my sins. That he was buried and he rose again on the third day, just like you promised. And now he he deserves to be and desires to be the Lord of my life. So I say yes. Yes to your payment for my sins. I say yes to you today, confessing Jesus as my Savior as my ransom and my Lord. I surrender and I accept this gift and I pray now, Lord, make me that person you intend me to be as I'm yours in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I simply ask you to say, Amen. Lord, now I pray for those who have said yes to you, either right now or any time prior. I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us and make us people, Lord, who realize that real maturity in you looks like people who are in your word, who trust your word, and who love each other. And so, Lord, reinvent our hearts, replace our hearts. The one that is infatuated with ourselves, remove. The one that constantly is driven to bless and aggrandize and make more comfortable ourselves, remove and replace with the one that looks like yours, that loves others, that cares about others, that makes other people more important the way you intend and makes you first and foremost and primary. So Lord, may we take seriously the holiness of our call, of our, of our caring now as we seek to care for each other, make this church a church that loves each other the way you would have us love each other. We are not here to to try to convince the world of anything first and foremost. That's your job. We're here to be evidence. And so make us that evidence by the way we treat each other. Even today, make the change so clear and so stark and so full of contrast for where we've been that even us, that we would be amazed today. So we hand this over to you now, in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, finally, I pray right now for those who, who do. You've developed that love in our hearts, Lord. It's overflowing even as we sing. And Lord, as it overflows, now we want to do something with it. So Lord, develop our calling now. Raise up within us spiritual gifts, Lord, that do more than just please for a moment, but Lord, rather open our spiritual sight to seeing things from an eternal perspective and use us to make an eternal change. And here even now, Lord, do your work. Make us those people we pray, Lord. Make us people who today, Lord, 
grow in our calling, that we would be used, Lord, to transform uh, we as a family and this world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.